Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And we are sort of winding down, Robert, our pilgrimage here in Lourdes. I know, which is always, and I'm glad to be home to a regular Catholic Cafe, but uh, it's also kind of sad to leave. This is a real special place. That's right. So we're, we're guzzling Cafe Olay's here. I know, getting the, the last of the French pastries. I'm, of course, I gain, I'm going to have to buy new pants when I get back, Deacon Jeff. That's all right. That's all right. With all the money that you've uh, made uh, off of this show... Just kidding. There's no money. <laughs> There's we give it away for free, Deacon Jeff. <laughs> oh, they never told me that. Well, anyway, we've got a great guest to sort of start to wrap things up here. We've got Michelle Miller here. She's a dame of Malta. That's right. Michelle, where are you from? I'm originally from Kansas City, Missouri. Well, all the way over here in Lourdes, and that's where we come to know each other here in mm-hmm. France. Uh, but welcome to the Catholic Cafe's luxurious corner booth. Is it luxurious or not? Oh, absolutely. Wonderful. Absolutely. Bit of heaven. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you're joining us because I just met you this time, this on this pilgrimage. And I'm always intrigued by the stories I hear and, and uh, just people's lives and what brings them to where they are today. And so when I heard a little bit about what you've been doing and what you are doing and what you look forward to doing, I thought, well, you know, maybe Michelle is somebody we want to have on this show. Um, so what we're going to start with, Michelle, is I want, if you could just tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Where did you come from? Because I know eventually you're going to get to the, uh, the, the lights of Broadway somehow in your story. Oh, well, um, the youngest of nine children kind of comes naturally to theater. There Catholic you go. family must be. Yes, very big, large Irish Catholic family and the youngest of nine children. And so survival meant being able to keep up and to have a sense of humor and That's right. take the knock. So naturally, after I got out of college, I ended up in New York. Awesome. And now, were you always a, a good Catholic? I mean, is that where you raised in that in that faith? Very much so. Uh, theology was a dialogue at our family table, always. It was always accessible, and my parents never dumbed anything down. So my oldest brother is 18 years older. And after he got his two degrees at Notre Dame in law and undergrad, he decided to go back and get his master's in theology. So at around the age of 12... We were talking more and more on that level of spirituality. So right at the dinner table. At the dinner table. Wow. So it was. It really came from a place of dialogue and being around wonderful priests. And we would continually have priests um, Sunday after mass to our home. Right. So it was. It was an extension of our family, our, our parish, and our faith life was just a greater extension of this very large, loving family. Well, were you always drawn to the, the lights of the stage or just performing or musical theater? or Were you drawn to that all your life? I was. I have, um, so I've got five older brothers, three older sisters, and my sisters all performed at one point. And, and um, I always wanted to do what everybody else was doing, so I tried my hand at, at everything. And uh, really started singing, I think my first solo was at five. Ah. And just... I just loved it. Did it for the love of it. And I didn't have a stage mother. So it was very kind of self-directed, but never really had designs on being a star. I just loved the process and I loved the music. And and that's how it showed up for me. It was just this kind of love of, of the music more than the bright lights. So you had a go at it. Uh, you, you were doing some auditions and you were in that. But what, what ended up happening in all that? Well, yeah, after I got my degree from Boston College, I went to New York about a year after school. And I had been doing work outreach with an opera company in Kansas City, where I'm from. And I thought that I was going to give up the stage. 
for forever, really, as a performer. And all my major decisions in my life I've woken up to, literally, in the morning, woken up, said, I have to go to New York, Lords. And I woke up one morning, said, you know, called a friend and said, I, I'm thinking about moving to the city. Do you know anyone who needs a roommate? She said, oh, mine dropped out yesterday. So I was on the plane the next month and, and went and did the 6 a.m. auditions and was doing off-Broadway and singing with some symphonies and, and lots of callbacks for shows like Wicked and Les Mis. And it would always get down to me and one other person. And I realized in hindsight why I wasn't getting the roles was because while I loved the act of performing and I loved the music, the lifestyle wasn't mm. going to be authentic to where my soul was. And so whatever it was, it wasn't meant to be so that I would find my way uh, to the more authentic path right. for my gifts. So I was doing a should. You know, when you have my training and my background, you should go to Broadway. Right. Rather than the I must became, I must go to Lords, I must, you know, involve myself in. And I wonder if there was also a little bit of piece of like, well, I just want to see. Yeah. I want to see if that's if this is really where I, I think I'm called to be. I, just, I guess I need to go and because a lot of people will think they won't ever forgive themselves if they don't try to do what they thought their dream was. Sure, and you realize that on your path to one dream, other dreams show up if you allow yourself to be open open to it. Amen. Yeah. So, so really I, I kept saying yes to the new opportunities that were learning opportunities and things that I never expected to happen in my life. And then started saying no to the things that I was like, I've learned that lesson. Um, and you really realize that if you've got everything you wanted in the time you wanted it, you wouldn't have the beautiful things that you have now. And that would be the self, the self-directed life. I mean, if you plan your life all out, it's, there's no mystery, there's no enjoyment, there's no adventure. No, not at all. And when people say, do you have a five-year plan? I was like, ask me about my five-day plan. (laughs) Uh, Because it is, you know, we make plans and God says, oh, really? Right. So (laughs) I took the oh, really approach. All right. So there's, there's, uh, so Broadway's not the answer. It's not your calling. It's not your, your final destiny here on the planet earth. So how, now here we are in Lourdes. Mm-hmm. Right, so how do we have to, how do we make that leap from Broadway to Lourdes? I know it's not just one plane ride. No, no, there's a lot of little little stepping stones that got me here. I mean, my father uh, really instilled a sense of service in us early, and he's the type of man that would see a need in a community and fulfill it. He would ask the community what it needed and then move in, and he started a project that's very big with the Knights of Malta called uh, Christmas in October. And it goes into inner city homes and rehabs it. And that was my job as a high school student, was going in and inspecting inner city homes. So in tough neighborhoods and learning about construction and things that a young actress would never normally do. But um, you're very active with other human beings in the interaction. So uh, at the time that I came to Lourdes, I was running a nonprofit theater company in New York. And... And God love actors at their very best, generous, compassionate, creative. But there can be so much curved in on oneself that that was very uncomfortable for Mm -hmm. me. And a friend of mine who's a Broadway musical director and I started a nonprofit using the arts to help impoverished children. And around that exact same time that I was kind of bouncing that idea around, I was... uh, going through a lot of illness. Very, I've struggled with autoimmune illnesses through my life and chronic pain. So I literally woke up one day and said, I have to go to Lourdes. Now, my parents at that time, my mother had been a dozen times and my father had been 14. Wow. And none of my older siblings had come to Lourdes. And I, I really did come here as a skeptic in, in some ways, um, but woke up one morning and said, I have to go to Lourdes. And the pilgrimage was good enough to, to take me. And it was alchemy 
that that trip and wow. and you know I say you take different paths this was all of a sudden it was a very clear fork in the road did you have a, a connection with the blessed mother at that point in your life did you really always I've, I've always had a devotion to um, our lady my mother's name is Bernadette so I knew the story of this place but even as a little girl I can remember I, I spoke with her in that right. kind of that, that friendship that you have and that we forget as we get older. There's something that we lose when we intellectualize things, that, that that childlike ability to really take in the probabilities of faith um, can get silenced right. by ego and by society. And, and, you know, I was working in a very secular community, too, at the time. So, um, But Our Lady has found me in, in a lot of areas. She's shown up, and, and I've been really lucky enough to get out of my own way and... And, and listen as best as I can, I hope. Let me ask you this. Were you, at the time, were you involved in the Order of Malta at all? I wasn't. My parents, my dad came in in 84 as a knight, and my mom came in in 92 as a dame. And so I had no did, designs on it. Did you did you look in the phone book and say, we'll see, uh, organizations, I'm in the O's, I have to flip it over. There's Order of Malta. Let me give them a call and see what's going on with the Order of Malta. How did you make that connection to the Order of Malta? Oh, well, because of my parents. My dad was invited in, you know, almost 30 years ago. And, and I remembered going to the investiture and, and feeling very at home with the community. And, and we have a very active parish life back in Kansas City. So it was really through my family. Again, it, it goes back to my parents, always. I give them full credit. You're a perfect natural to be, uh, you know, to be a dame of Malta. Just it fits you to a T, I think. Based Nothing on like a dame. That's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> right. To There's borrow a song a little, cue everywhere. That's exactly right. So obviously in, in these, uh, this opportunity of service, right, mm-hmm. th- there's great benefit to the world. There's great benefit to the Malad, especially that you bring uh, to, this, to this place here in Lourdes. But, but then also just all the, the works of the order. But are there benefits to you? I mean, other than the snazzy uniform, are there, are there, <laughs> are there benefits to you spiritually that help you in this, uh, you know, just in this life? This, this is actually the happiest week uh, of my year. Other than I also work with a school in India, which is for later. But, um, yes, absolutely. I think that inact- you can't be inactive in your faith. And for me, it is about doing and about showing up and being the empty cup that shows up and says whatever you need. So I, I really show up here. I, I joke that I'm a good little Indian, that I'm, I'm good at, I'm sorry, American Indian. Um, <laughs> uh you show up and just ready to help and, and to serve. And I'm very lucky. Uh, my father has always handed out the holy water, um, Our Lady's water, to the Malads, especially the international Malads. So the Malads is a sick person. Ma- uh, yes, it's French for sick, uh, for a sick person. And, and that really was it for me. For me, there's the ministry of direct touch, too. So many people um, with affliction don't get help. They don't. They're not always so lucky to be touched and ministered in that intimate way. So at the larger masses, my father and I make sure everyone's cared for by giving them the water. And the most beautiful moment for me was the first time that I realized that uh, a particular Malad from Bohemia was unable to bring the precious water to his own lips. So I got to be this conduit. Um, what a moment of grace. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful moment of grace to show up and be, to be that instrument. 
What a wonderful story. And there are more stories and there are more things to talk about here with Michelle, and we appreciate you taking the time to do this. We're going to take a little break, and before we, uh, uh, before we get away, I want to remind everyone that we have a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. And also, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzezemski. And this is another great moment in church history. Imagine that you were the leader of a small theater troupe in early Rome. And imagine that the emperor was coming to your theater to see your play. Well, that's exactly what tradition tells us about Genesius, an actor who lived and worked in Rome in the late 3rd century. Genesius wanted more than anything to impress his emperor, the famous Diocletian, who was well known for his intense hatred and relentless persecution of the early Christians. Genesius decided to produce and act in a play that mocked the followers of Christ, for he knew that this would find great favor with his emperor, and perhaps help him to advance himself in the Roman art society. But, as is sometimes the case, all did not go as planned. His big performance before the emperor was to be his last. In the play, which was meant as a parody of the Christian faith, Genesius portrayed a catechumen no longer seeking baptism. But, as the play progressed toward the final climatic scene, one legend tells us that Genesius suddenly had a vision of heaven and of angels. Struck with fear and perhaps a realization of the sinful path he had chosen for his life, He fell to the stage floor as if he were sick. Two actors portraying a priest and an exorcist came to him to offer assistance, unsure if he was truly ill or just improvising a new scene. They asked him what he desired, and he told them, I want to be baptized. They now knew he was no longer acting, and the play would not end as written. They tried to get him off the stage, but he refused. Overcome by the Holy Spirit, he again demanded to be baptized. Needless to say, Emperor Diocletian was not enjoying himself. He soon became infuriated. He immediately had Genesius arrested and hauled before the prefect of the praetorium. The prefect tortured Genesius in an attempt to get him to recant his Christian profession of faith. Genesius refused to recant. He was now and would be forever a follower of Jesus. Emperor Diocletian had Genesius beheaded. Although he did not receive a baptism of water as he had requested, he did receive a baptism of the blood that he shed in union with his Savior, Jesus Christ. He lived as an actor, but he died a Christian martyr. St. Genesius is the patron saint of actors, comedians, clowns, musicians, dancers, and lawyers. His feast day is celebrated August 25th. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this has been another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe here in Lourdes, France. Robert, uh, we've got Michelle Miller here, and she's telling us all about her uh, storied life. It is. And you know, Deacon Jeff, the interesting thing about Lourdes is we meet all these people that come from so far away just to help these other people to spend a week 
just caring for other people. Yeah. I mean, people that take time off work, they take time away from their jobs and their family. It's just really amazing to, uh, I mean, that, that really strikes me when I'm here. Because we've got Michelle here we've been talking with, and what I was struck with before we came to re- uh, record here in the Catholic Cafe, that you were going to check to see if you could work in the baths to help people to, um, to immerse themselves in, in the water at Lourdes, which is, um, as the Blessed Mother told people to do. And that's just an amazing, think about that, that's an amazing but a very hard sort of work to do. Well, it's in the trenches. It's it's the real stuff. And I, and Michelle, I mean, you mentioned your your dad was an influence, right? Always Absolutely. had a life of service. Well, I think it goes back to the fact that my parents' marriage, which is fifty six years going strong uh, next month, is completely and totally based in their faith relationship with each other. They are two very different human beings, and they adore each other to this day. And one thing that we always saw was the example of how their relationship was so strong and that it was really um, united through Christ. You know, people will say that, that one of the most important things is not the relationship of the parent and child, that's important, but is the relationship of the two parents to each other, that that love between the couple gives security and builds a foundation for the family. Truly. I think that that's really why we've always felt so secure. There were so many of us, and, you know, you have nine children, yes? I do, I do. As well, so you, you know that there is that... The spreading the love out to everybody, but if you have that core between the two solid people who are in that that really sacred union, then it creates that influence, and and you always feel cradled in love, right? Always, and the two of them, with just the way that they, they're you know they go to mass every day, they won't miss it. Um, the way that they speak of their faith, my mo- my father says that in his times of trouble, he goes to the altar and lays his problems there. And, and then moves on with the rest of his day unburdened. And we all have our outlets. But for that to be such an authentic outlet for him, he doesn't do what he does for laurels and feathers in right. his cap. He does it because it is, it's what his father did. And he'll always go back and speak of his father and, and all the work that he did as well. And you I, know, you talk about their love and how that expresses itself in the service and all that stuff and what it, what it taught you. That's actually very closely tied to the, the Catholic theology of, of the Trinity. Yes. That the intense love of the Father and the Son spirates the Holy Spirit. The, the, the gift of life, is just, is, it just explodes from that intense love. And the same thing when you've got this spousal relationship, which is a foretaste of our, mm-hmm. our relationship with God in heaven. I mean, you, you see this in this total self-gift of love that it spirates. It, there's procreation. There's, just, there's love spilling out into the world, and, and you pick up on that. And so you picked up on that as a kid, obviously, and it just was implanted and grew in you. It absolutely did, and I think one of the best descriptions of the Trinity that I got, I was studying theology as an undergrad, but that it is we participate in God, God as verb as relationship of the loved, the lover, and the love between them. Yeah. And that is a really beautiful way to look at, at marriage and partnership and parenthood. Almost an image of the Trinity, the love of the husband Absolutely. and wife together. Agape. You know, it becomes life-giving. It creates life between the couple, but then it literally creates new life. And it is self-gift. It is There is something about them that they balance each other. And now they've got their quirks. I mean, they're, it, they're, I'm not portraying perfection because <laughs> right. only God is you perfect. You don't need no disclaimers here. But they, but they adore each other. I mean, there really is true abiding affection between the two of them. And, and they are my two favorite people on the planet, no doubt. And I'll get choked up if I talk about them too much. Um, but you know, my mother's gracefulness, her calm, the way that she ran a tight ship, but in that kind of delicate way that, that some women really are 
able to do. And, and my father always being a pillar. So the two of them had this ebb and flow between the two of them and the balance and the dialogue. And do you think that that relationship and that family life sort of molded or formed your desire to go out and help others? I mean, it's sort of a, it's like a school of love, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, love begets love if you let it multiply. Uh, And they were very, very good about that. And, you know, we've all, all of my siblings, my dad says you could have gone and picked up nine children from different places and you couldn't have more different personalities and backgrounds in some ways in our paths that we've chosen. But at the end of it, we, we all have our faith. We all have our love of our family. And, and so we were also allowed to be individuals. We were allowed to express um, ourselves as individuals too. Now, I know that the Order of Malta and, and its great works are not the only outlet for your service, your love. What other things are you involved in in your life? Well, it's interesting. My first trip to Lourdes that I made in 2005 was at a very pivotal point for me. And, um, you know, like I said, I came here myself very ill. And I was told that I, when I started my nonprofit with my friend, that I shouldn't ever go to India, which is one of our, you know, outreach programs. We work in India, South Africa, the U.S., and a couple other places. And one morning, much like coming to Lourdes, I woke up and said, I have to go to India. And the school there is called Shanti Bhavan, which means peaceful haven. And much like here, the domain, which is where all the sacred sites really are in Lourdes, as I walked onto the campus, it was that same feeling of, where, peace. of peace, where everything is directed towards the good. And, and I also, I have to admit that every major um, service-oriented act I've had, I've, I've felt tremendous fear before walking into. Right. It's that fear of the moment before you're changed. And I, I definitely had that coming to Lourdes, my first experience in the baths. I've, I've sobbed uncontrollably with that, you know, unexpressed grief, things that you hide from yourself, but that God knows and it comes to the surface through the water. And then going to India, you know, we work with children from the untouchable caste, Dalits. They live on less than 50 cents a day prior to coming to our school at the age of four, and they stay with us till the age of 18. Prior to coming to the school, they've never seen a clean drink of water, a bathroom, a bed, a teddy bear, a Western toilet. And and so it's an extreme. You know, here there's so much care for our, our blessed Malads and their companions who come and witness their struggles. And there the work that we're doing is a little subversive because it's it goes against certain things in the culture ah. as well. Uh, and our children are Christian, Muslim, and Hindu. And they all come together, though as these wonderful, compassionate, luminous beings. That's awesome. And they pray together every day. And they're all allowed to pray in their own way, but they pray together every day, and the prayers were written by the Catholic principal um, years ago. So it it also feels very much like home. I I leave the comfort of my home and and go to India, Mm -hmm. and, and I find another spiritual home through the act of... Of service. It seems like everything in your life starts to be directed towards the afterlife, towards salvation, towards making, doing the right thing for the right reason. In other words, it sounds like even in, in your business dealings, mm. just in what, what you do on a day-to-day basis, that you've always got that higher calling to be of service uh, to your neighbor. And I think that's important. And I think uh, that's something that you seem to demonstrate. So obviously, I don't know if there's other things you want to tell us that you're, that you're doing and involved in, but it sounds like you've you're, you got a pretty full schedule of total self-gift. Oh, well, you know, it's fits and starts. And it, and it is probably a personality thing, too, that it is, it's in the moment of pouring out that I'm filled up. 
Um, and I'm not a saint. I won't say that. Like I say, I qualify Yeah, if that. you would leave behind some kind of relic <laughs> that we could just hold on to for a period of time until the church makes its determination. Right, right. But I, I really get the areas where I need to stretch and grow, and I tend to walk into the, into the discomfort of that. So if, if there's something that I am happy that I do is that I don't sit in complacent comfort. But see, I love how you just said that. You're talking about discomfort. And you even just a few minutes ago, you mentioned fear right before you start yeah. to do something. There, there's, there's a fear. And, you know, a lot of people don't like it and they've changed the, the terminology. But in the, you know, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, there used to be this fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right. And they've kind of changed it to, you know, wonder and awe, which is nice. But there is a there's a healthy fear because we're, we're, we're being changed and transformed. We're, right. we're being taken out of our comfort zone. And when we're in our comfort zone, we're not changing anymore. No. Right. We're just we're who we were the same day we showed up. Or at the same hour, we're nobody different. If we're not growing, we're not growing closer to God. So we we got to be constantly in a state of conversion and change, which sometimes brings fear. It does. And I've, I've struggled. I can't, you know, if Mother Teresa can have the dark night of the soul, so can I. And I can, I can forgive myself for that. I can be gentle with myself in those moments of, because we all experience the doubt and despair. If Christ can experience it in Gethsemane or experience anger, then I'm allowed my, a certain amount of my humanity as well. Well, and you throw yourself into the arms of the Lord in, 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 in total trust. Yes. All the more. And that, and that while you still experience the fear, again, it's still transforming and actually is helping you grow. I'm very lucky that I've been supported um, in doing what I love to do. And really in, in that it's been this circuitous, circuitous path. Because right. when people say, what do you do for a living? I'm like, uh how to condense it and distill it into one thing. It all is right. storytelling. You don't have a business card. They're too big. You have a business paper. An eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper is your business card, right? I, I actually, I, my business card has a Desmond Tutu quote on it. And it's my production <laughs> company is called A Little Bit of Good Productions. Right. Because it's do your little bits of good where you are. And those little bits of good will overwhelm the world. So I, much like Mother Teresa, I don't think I do great things. But I know that I do the little things I do with great love. And that's a, a word to the wise. It's a word to those who want to want to hear and think, well, maybe I should get more involved and do the, do the things that I'm called to do. Michelle, thank you so much for spending time with us uh, and sharing your great story. And maybe well, you're, you. you're going to be an inspiration to somebody, I hope, uh, who's hearing this. And you're already an inspiration to me to make me want to do more. I, you know, Robert, right. the, isn't it amazing that we, as much as we think we do, it's like, wait a second, I'm, I'm not going to India. I need to do some more. It is. How many times to Lourdes now to work? Uh, this is seven times to Lourdes, five seven. times to India. Uh, but you know what? We, you don't have to go to India. India is in your backyard. And, and really, it's in your own relationships. If you're struggling with somebody, reach out in kindness and compassion. Cut other people a break. It's very simple things. You don't have to go do the back, back-breaking work in the baths, which I love, because witnessing that moment of faith and vulnerability is amazing. But really, the harder test is, is in being kind of the people who are difficult to the next door neighbor that drives you crazy yes wonderful words wonderful words well that's great well we're here in lourdes we're going to close our show with prayer and we're going to ask our lady to be with us great name of the father and the son the holy spirit amen hail mary full Full of of grace the lord Lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus holy mary mother of god pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death amen name of the father and the son the holy spirit amen Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. 
The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. <laughs>